Welcome to Talking New Energy, a podcast from Delta EE, the new energy experts. We'll be talking about how the energy transition is developing across Europe, with guests who are working at the leading edge of this transition. Hello, and welcome to the episode. Regular listeners will know we talk about heat pumps quite a lot in this podcast, but so far, we've mainly focused podcasts on residential scale heat pumps. Today, we're going to go up in size and talk about industrial scale heat pumps and heat pumps for the district heating. Uh, why? Well, industrial heat and large scale heat is only slightly behind residential heat when it comes to overall demand for heat across Europe. So the challenge to decarbonize heating and even cooling in industry and district heating is as much a challenge as it is to decarbonize heat in, in households. So looking forward to uh, talking about the opportunity for large scale heat pumps. And I've got three or four great guests to join the discussion today. So let's say hello to our guests. Uh, first, Jonas Saman and Drew Jones from Danfoss. Uh, Jonas, let's say hello to you first. How are you doing? Hey, John. Thank you for having me. Um, Jonas, can you tell us a bit about the work you do with large heat pumps at Danfoss? Yeah, so I work in a, in a team in, at Danfoss uh, in the sector integration team, um, where we are working with uh, large heat pumps across different applications. Um, and uh, me personally, I've done a bit of, uh, I'm doing business development for, for large heat pumps and I've done the strategy across um, or participate in the strategy across Europe, China and the US. Great. Thanks, Jonas. And hello, Drew. Uh, hello, John. <laughs> Drew Turner. I'm the Global Marketing Manager for Danfoss Sector Integration. So working with uh, Jonas as well as others on uh, building heat recovery heat pumps into large scale systems. Great. And thanks for joining us at a very early hour in the morning all the way from Colorado. Drew, appreciate it. Absolutely. Um, my second guest is Dave Pearson from Star Refri Refrigeration. Hello, Dave. Good morning, John and others. Hello. Um, Dave, likewise, can you just give us a snapshot of your work with large heat pumps at Star? Yeah, so uh, to 2008, we got interested uh, as an industrial refrigeration contractor. We were asked to, to look at um, some heat pumps for a client in Norway. And uh, we did that and really op it opened our eyes to a completely new sector. So we're, we're a manufacturer of heat pumps, probably from about 500 kilowatts up to we would undertake a project to tens and tens of megawatts of capacity. Um, so um, we've, we've found quite an interesting market in, in that segment. Um, quite hidden, I have to say. Um, we uncovered a lot of people that had been very active way back to the 1980s. Mm -hmm. And earlier so it's an interesting time that we've been involved in this over the last uh, 10 12 years or so great and can you give us an example uh dave of a project you're really excited about uh maybe that norwegian project maybe another one uh, a large heat pump project oh well i mean it's a bit early in the morning to be talking about whiskey but we'll get back to that later but that's what i'm particularly interested in at the moment uh, in terms of um uh, much much higher temperature heat pumps but the the main thrust of the business at the moment is is looking at providing heat at a temperature suitable for um, maybe more classical district heating um, sort of certainly up to about 85 degrees mm -hmm. C 
um, but also in capacities that are sized to serve many, many buildings from a central resource. And we've done um, a couple of really big projects. One uh, that I mentioned earlier in Norway, uh, 13 megawatts, and the heat source is the fjord, so a saltwater okay. fjord. Uh, where the, the water is uh, typically about 8 degrees C all year round at 40 metres deep. Um, and for a long, long time, we, we were promoting this uh, as a solution in the UK with little success. But just last year, or 2020 rather, um, we've um, done a project on the River Clyde, and that's taking heat from the River Clyde to heat part of the city of Clydebank in Scotland. So um, we're we're seeing lots of lots of um, water resource around uh, as possibilities. Yeah. Great, thanks, Dave. Um, Jonas, from your side, any particular project you'd like to highlight for our listeners that show off the the potential for large scale heat pumps? Yeah, there's a um, there's um, a project that we're working on at the moment, which is um, a windmill park where uh, there's a ATIS storage system attached to it. And then the, uh, the heat pump is uh, operating uh, when the electricity is uh, price is low and okay. discharging the ATIS system. And, and, um, and then, uh, and then um, when the uh, price for the heat is good, normally it's uh, seasonally based. So then uh, the, um, the, the heat from the ATIS systems will then be discharged to the district heating system. I think okay. that's a that's a very interesting uh, way of optimizing the uh, the the heat pump. Yeah, interesting that integration with with wind and the the electricity sector. Um, my last guest today is my Delta E colleague and heat pump expert Lindsay Sugden. Hello, Lindsay. Hi, John. Um, Lindsay, can I start with asking how? How widespread are large heat pumps? Uh, help our listeners understand, are they everywhere? Are they just emerging? Is there a handful? Uh, paint a picture for us. Yeah, good question. Um, I mean, as we were saying, large heat pumps can be everything from kind of hundreds of kilowatts to, to many megawatts. But if we if we talk about the, yeah, kind of megawatt scale, then really it's it's less than... 10 a year in in main markets maybe up to to low tens um it's not widespread um obviously the value is relatively high because there are large capacities but it's mm. it's still a fairly immature market i think it's it's fair to say um one exception um or rather one market that's perhaps leading leading the way is is denmark Jonas can i'm sure add, add more to that but there's been quite a, a strong increase in larger heat pumps and district heating in the last uh, couple of years in, in Denmark, um, which is, you know, hopefully a, a sign for the future for other markets as well. Um, great. And why are there not more? What are the main, what are the main challenges that you see? Yeah, I think there's, there's probably three kind of main challenges or, or groups of challenges um, that I see. And the, the first one is around finding the right business models so that that heat pumps can actually make commercial sense you know even if they make technical sense and in terms of efficiency and decarbonization making the business case is, is still challenging um you know finding business models which enable or incentivize the use of waste heat for example or ways to capture flexibility value streams um Jonas, uh, just mentioned uh, interesting projects there um, so that's one one challenge is just how do you how do you make the business case stack up 
um, yeah. challenges around policy, which don't always put heat pumps on a level playing field with, with other technologies um, in, in that kind of scale. Um, and also linked to that, the energy price uh, signals, which again, often make gas look much more, uh, much more attractive. Um, and then finally, there's this technical challenges or rather a need for further innovation in the, the technology. How do you reach higher flow temperatures? How do you make these kinds of systems more modular, easier to install? Um, there's, there's work to do there. Um, hmm. Yeah. Okay. Um, on that last point, the, the technical challenges or the opportunity, Dave, Jonas, Drew, can you, I'd like to ask you to sort of illustrate the range of things that large-scale heat pumps can do. Um, if I think of household settings, there's a lot of discussion about the flow temperature that heat pumps can serve. So can they pump water around a house at, at 50 degrees, 60 degrees, 70 degrees, like a, like a gas boiler, for example? So can you give us a little uh, illustration of what te technically heat pumps can do in district heating and industry? Can they give really high flow temperatures? Um, some really interesting examples to help our listeners understand the breadth of applications. Which one of you would like to like to start with that? Yeah, so uh, I think that's a, that's a very um, interesting question. I think what, what we see today is that there, there are very a broad range of applications uh, that are that are good for for heat pumps, especially large heat pumps as well. And mm -hmm. especially when you talk about the the symbiosis applications, where you have a, both a, a, heat, a need for for cooling and for for heating, and you can use that uh, heat recovery on the cooling side to to as a source for the for the heat um, the the forward temperature of the heat pump um, and. You, you mentioned also the, the different temperature regimes um, and there there are, uh, I think, good solutions out there today uh, for up to about 80 degrees C. Um, and, uh, and that's both for uh, district heating and uh, industrial applications. Um, and then there are some more obvious industrial applications for, for heat pumps. You know, you have the dairy uh, factories you have uh, breweries or something like that where you both yeah. have that um, heating and and cooling need um, and then on the waste heat recovery I think one obvious one is that's also mentioned a lot uh, at the moment is, is uh, data centers yeah okay I like the, the industrial example of where you've got heating and cooling needs and uh, you can shift that heat around basically you can extract it use the, the heat from the cooling to supply the, the heat for the um, the heat for the process or um dave how about yourself what would you would you add any to that or frame it in a different way in terms of the the uh what, what heat pumps can do at large scale heat pumps will do whatever you ask them to do that's that's the short of it the you know the d domestic market that uh, we maybe start with um 45 50 was fairly normal because it was largely extremely well insulated buildings in scandinavia that, that drove the market initially and still do drive it. But as we move towards harder and harder challenges, the technology just evolves. Uh, we see better compressors. We see better um, configurations of compressor, perhaps two-stage. We see 
perhaps better working fluids that are better at higher temperatures or, or give you the same efficiency you would expect, but at a higher temperature. So 60, 70 degrees is, is really quite feasible um, if you try in domestic heat pumps. And, and perhaps the mistake we've made in the domestic heat pump market is to say heat pumps are too expensive. We need to make them cheaper. The, the actual cost of the heat pump itself is a relatively small part of the deployment cost. But perhaps we should have been saying was how do we make these heat pumps better uh, by paying a little bit more, perhaps having two compressors in, in, in a cascade setup. However, that's just the, the intro to, to the wider piece. The, the work that we've done uh, has delivered district heating at 90 degrees. Um, 85 degrees is more common these days as a temperature limit. However, there have also been uh, projects on a, on a more industrial setting uh, delivering heat at 160 degrees. So if you ask the equipment and design the equipment the right way with the right intentions, you can achieve all sorts of things. Does that mean that the heat pump works? And that, I think, is the central question. Technically, it works, but commercially, um, we have to decide, A, how we're evaluating it, and B, are we giving it a fair chance? We're, yeah. you're, Jonas mentioned uh, wind turbines, and that's the predominant um, emerging source of electricity in the world at the moment. It's the cheapest form of electricity deployment, a accepting that we have to find a way of funding the intermittency of it, because there are periods where it, it doesn't doesn't generate it strongly. However, we're seeing costs of electricity at something like 50, 50 euros per megawatt hour, um, which is probably about one and a half times the cost of, of gas. However, when you buy that electricity back from the grid, two kilometers, three kilometers down the road, by the time you have all the transmission charges and the way the electricity market set up, the you're probably so playing yeah. three or four times. Yeah. So to say that a heat pump doesn't work economically, but the electricity is being made four times as expensive as it actually costs to buy it. Yeah. There's something wrong with the paperwork, not the technology. Yeah. Okay. So a very a tech, heat pumps then can do a lot. They've got a wide range of applications. They'll struggle with many hundreds of degrees that you could get from process some process each, but well over a hundred degrees. Uh, yeah, and numbers we've run, we could deliver heat at 120 degrees with a coefficient of performance of over four. But that's because yeah. the waste heat that was available was available at 60, 70 degrees. So it's that nice. delta between uh, source temperature and flow temperature. But you've always got to factor in the significantly largest portion of the life cycle cost of a heat pump is the cost of the it's electricity. The yeah, sure. Um Jonas, coming back to Lindsay mentioned Denmark. What's Denmark done that's seen the uh, number of large heat pumps uh, being installed go up significantly? Well, I think first, one of the things that Denmark has done for, for many years has been a focus on district energy. Yeah. So for, for many, many years, there's been a high focus on, on district energy. And then uh, more recently, there has been a move to uh, the fourth generation district energy systems. So with lower uh, temperatures mm -hmm. and that basically enables uh, enabled already a few years ago, many years ago, um, heat pumps for, for district energy. So what sort of temperatures are we talking about in these uh, fourth generation? Uh, yeah, then, then, we, then we are talking about uh, 60, 65 uh, 70 degrees, okay. maybe even lower than 60. 
Yeah. Um, so so quite low temperatures. Uh, that was also mentioned before on residential heat pumps. Um, so there, there's been a lot of work, and there's still a lot of work ongoing uh, to to lower the temperatures because it improves the uh, the efficiency and the social social um, economical uh, calculations that they're doing when they're estimating uh, the uh, the heat pump and what type of technologies that should be used uh, for these kinds of applications. And what are heat pumps displacing? Are they are these heat pumps being installed in new district heating or are they being installed in existing district heating and being used instead of natural gas cogeneration? They, they're, they're being installed everywhere at the moment. Okay. There's, a, there's a very high demand for heat pumps uh, at the moment in, in, in Denmark. Uh, and, um, and it's for, for all kinds of, uh, of systems, whether it's uh, old or new. Uh, typically, they, they, um, they, they replace the primary source and use the, 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 the heat pump, at least for the smaller district energy systems, and use the heat pump as the primary source, but they keep the, uh, the, the gas or whatever that they might have, biomass or something like that, as backup, uh, so that they have that for, the, for, for peak. And how have they got over the economic challenge uh, that Dave described? Because I think your electricity prices in Denmark are, are pretty high. Uh, so how do the economics stack up? Yeah. So um, again, you know, with with um, with lowering the uh, the temperature on the district energy systems, that delta T is is lower. That you, the lift that you have to do with the heat pump that improves mm-hmm. the um, the COP and, and therefore also the 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 life cycle cost of the of the heat pump. And there there have also been uh, and still are some uh, subsidy schemes mm-hmm. um, that are that are very uh, that are very popular. Um, and then there is um, uh, there's a focus on also um, levering the playing field between different energy sources, uh, gas versus uh, electricity, and yeah. so on. So there are a lot of things that are moving. And maybe the last one is also that um, we in, in Denmark also used to have a penalty for s- selling uh, waste heat, and that's also been removed. So so um, so there are a lot of things at the moment that are encouraging. Uh, large heat pumps. Okay, so when you, when a country like Denmark puts its mind to it and tries to align a number of the things that you've talked about together, then the experience there is well, you've got a nice market because you've got lots of district heating, uh, but the experience is large scale heat pumps indeed can can do the job and do it economically. Yeah, um, clearly. Yeah. And and um, it's not it's not only to say that that this is happening in in Denmark. If you take you know other places like the Netherlands, then you just have smaller uh, district heating uh, schemes mm-hmm. quite often, um, and then those can be then uh, in, in uh, on a longer term connected into a larger uh, district heating scheme. So then the, the the business model is a bit different. Yeah. Um, the in in other countries, and Dave can talk more to, to the UK also. Well, I'd like to. Just talk briefly about industrial applications as well as we've talked a bit about district heating. Dave, you mentioned whiskey earlier uh, and drew interested in maybe your thoughts on applications like data centers or uh, other industrial applications. Um, Dave, let's tell us a bit about whiskey and uh, how the role of heat pumps in the, the whiskey or distillery sector. 
Well, it, it ties nicely with Jonas's earlier comments. The other thing that happened in Denmark principally was a, a realisation that burning stuff is not sustainable. It doesn't matter whether it was trash or whether it was oil or gas, or even mm. to a certain extent biomass has, has uh, significant sustainability challenges um, from air quality perspectives. And that was a major thing that happened in Denmark, that they decided to burn less stuff they also then decided to create more uh, wind turbines, and that created that supply of electricity. Yeah. And so, so both those things pushed together to to create this. Well, if we can't burn something, how are we going to get heat? And that's exactly what's happening in the in the whiskey industry. They they are uh, massive consumers of uh, burnables, whether it's biomass or whether it's oil or whether it's gas or anything else, and they've. They've realised that they've got a significant carbon footprint challenge. By 2030, they want to reduce by 80%. So, Dave, you're going, to make, you're going to make our listeners that like drinking whiskey start to feel a little guilty over their carbon footprint? Not, not at all. I, I think uh, a smoky flavour in whiskey is no bad thing. Um, it's not everybody's taste, but it's fine. Um, but essentially, whiskey process is, is, is very simple. You have a, a volume of, of low concentration alcohol at 4%. You heat it at the bottom. The, the alcohol boils to the neck of the still. You then cool yeah. it, taking the heat back out, and you get 100% proof alcohol, which you, for some bizarre reason, because it doesn't seem a very Scottish psyche, you put it in a barrel for eight years and forget about it. I think uh, <laughs> the original um, aged whiskey was probably hidden from somebody, and then they found it many years later. But anyway, it's principally historically been a burning technique. Um, yeah. And that's got to change. Um, and, and finding something different to burn probably isn't going to be a, a satisfactory outcome. It's the classic heat recycle process. It's um, heat in and heat back out again. Um, it's perfectly yeah. suited to heat pumps. Yeah. Okay. Interesting. Um, Drew, uh, we've, we've heard about whiskey and district heating. Any other application you'd like to, to highlight to illustrate the, the range of opportunities for, for large heat pumps. Well, you mentioned data centers earlier, you know, critical yeah. facility cooling systems and retrofit of critical facility cooling systems is one of the biggest opportunities that we see. And there's a number of reasons for that. Lindsay highlighted uh, earlier a, a critical one of them is that if, if you're going to install heat pumps on every single house, uh, there's multiple problems that come into play. And two of those problems have to do with the space uh, mm. for, for that. And, and then also the electrical power for that. If you go to a large scale district scale system, whether it's on a data center or whatever application or a whiskey facility or whatever it's on, what you do is you centralize that power load as well as that footprint of that mechanical equipment to a location where, first of all, you're, you're, you don't have to generally add to the power system to service it because that data center that you install it on is generally installed next to a very large transformer station. Yeah. And then, and then secondly, your, your footprint of the heat pump is of course centralized to that same location. And all you have at the individual residences is a heat transfer station, which is roughly the same size as the condensing boiler uh, that you're in general replacing. And so it, it solves a lot of those issues, but it's uh, those critical facility cooling systems that we see also because of the constant load on the cooling side that provides a constant heat on the heating side or relatively constant. And then uh, the associated temperature of them as well, improving the efficiency and therefore the payment. 
And you, are you installing many heat pumps at data centers, or is that something you see future opportunity for? We're working on several opportunities for installing heat pumps at data centers right now. Uh, yes. In, in retrofit of both uh, existing applications as well as working on new applications, yeah. where you design it from the beginning as a symbiosis system, benefiting from both the cooling and the heat. Okay. Um, Lindsay, when you're talking with uh, people in the, the heat pump sector, how much we've heard both a little bit about some of the challenges, but also the opportunities. How excited is the sector about large heat pumps? Are you, is this the next big thing? Is it, oh, we've been trying, we've been battling away at the sector for years and it's still really hard work. What sort of vibe are you picking up? Yeah, it's a good question. Um, you know, as you said uh, in the beginning, I think a lot of the focus has been on domestic heat pumps, so your heat pumps in, in homes. Mm. Um, and although that you, you can't say that market is, is done yet the you know new build single family homes are doing pretty well with heat pumps there's still a lot further to go with with the retrofit sector but generally i think there's a lot of optimism that residential heat pumps are they've they've, re, they've reached an inflection point and and they're yeah. they're is... going up they're kind of on on the way to reach their potential um yeah. large scale heat pumps on the other hand i think these they, they, they come up as, as really the, the place where there's untapped potential for the heat pump market to really grow. Um, and, and it's, you know, potentially a, a really valuable market, much more valuable arguably than, than the residential sector. When you look at this, the scale of the, uh, of the applications. Um, so I think there's, there's optimism, but also uncertainty about whether really the the policy is going to drive the growth in in the way that you know that the technical potential is there as we've heard yeah. but it's still not difficult it was, or rather it's still not easy to to make the the business case work out so I, I think there's kind of cautious optimism that this could be the biggest untapped potential or so far untapped opportunity for for heat pumps well, I think what we should do now is bring out the, the Talking New Energy crystal ball and ask uh, our guests where they think we'll be by, let's set the dial this week to 2030 uh, and see how optimistic everyone's feeling. Uh, so uh, given where heat pumps, large heat pumps are at today and all of that potential that we've, we've talked a bit about so far, um, Jonas or... Or Drew, uh, Dave, Lindsay, I'd like you all to give a picture of where you think large heat pumps will be by 2030. And you can give that picture in any way you want, megawatts, numbers a year, some kind of feeling for our listeners of where you think will be by, by 2030. Uh, Dave, let, let's start with you. Well, it, it, it's a difficult one. There's, there's several factors at play here. Um, we are certainly going to see more deployment of um, renewable electricity and it's principally going to be wind farms. Yeah. The question then is what happens? Either we'll be using the surplus electricity um, for making hydrogen or we will be uh, seeing a, a situation where there's dynamic balancing of the grid by using heat pumps. Or um, both, or a combination. Or, or, or both. Um, yeah. One will see 
um, a situation where um, we're naturally happy to take the electricity pretty much all year round, but principally when it's colder, and we'll yeah. be taking that electricity and making heat from it, but offloading whenever the grid is a little bit stressed because the wind strength is lower. Yeah. Um, that gives us a very strong um, sort of rationale for building heat networks and, and heat pumps are the obvious way of doing that. Um, I think there's a real confusion in the broader energy market at the moment of the best way of, of dealing with that. So, um, so you... I don't know where the politicians will have gotten to by 2030, but leave it absolutely stated clearly, this is all about politics and policy and bits of paper. It's not about technical capability of any of the things that we see in front of us. And with a crystal ball, if you had to take a view as to whether that will move in the right direction and we'll start to see these heat networks grow and grow and heat pumps supplying these heat networks, what would you say by 2030? Are you uh, glass half full, glass half empty? What is um, your, so, your prediction? So two positive things to say then. I think um, it's wrong to take any individual country as, as, as an indicator because different countries are all pushing yeah. in the same direction. So very, very solid observations in Denmark and other countries of don't burn stuff, uh, use heat pumps, harness electricity, use it smartly, use it at yeah. the right time of day, right time of year. Yeah. So that's a positive. In the UK, there are uh, policies emerging around zoning and cities. And basically, we only need two things to see the heat pump market really move. And they're quite easy. The first is create a demand for buildings to do something better than just keep burning gas. So the demand side has to be uh, clarified. The second is uh, resolve the, the economics of it. We, we are, as I said earlier, making electricity for 50 euros per megawatt hour and people are being asked to buy at 200 euros per yeah. megawatt hour, even if they're doing heat pumps that have a 80% lower carbon footprint. Yeah. That does yeah. not stack up, but it's very easily fixed. So I hope that it gets fixed. It certainly could be fixed. If I was okay. in charge, it would be fixed. Put it there. Let's, let's, take a, let's take that as a, an optimistic hope, Dave. Uh, Jonas, Drew, which one of you would like to have a go at the, the crystal ball? I, I'm, I would say I'm also very um, optimistic. You know, I, I, I read, the, I think, yesterday or just today that um, uh, more than a thousand companies have signed up to science-based targets. And we have, uh, you know, uh, countries, country after country that's uh, also um, having uh, decarbonization uh, goals. And I think if that, if 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 we want to make that happen, we we need to see uh, an uptake of of large heat pumps also, especially if you look at the the socioeconomical cost of it. Um, and uh, I think there there's also um, maybe a a behavioral thing that you need to be. At least on the consumer level, you need to be ready to to share the upfront cost for a for a um, a heat network or a district heating uh, scheme or something like that. So there's also maybe a mindset that needs to be changed. But I think if if we if we if if this has to happen, and and, and I believe personally, you know, it has to, then I think we'll see a, a very big uptake of uh, of large heat pumps, and that covers across. Uh, country um, yeah yeah countries uh, like uh, or, or regions like Europe and uh, China and the and the US yeah. um, okay. and and in, in 
in the warmer parts of the world, it might be more combined, you know, where you would use the, with, the cold with. side in the, in the summer. Sure. Okay. Thanks, Jonas. Um, Lindsay, last but not least, uh, how optimistic are you feeling for 2030 and large heat pumps? Yeah, I, I think I'm, I'm optimistic as well. I can see the, the kind of installed capacity of, of large heat pumps probably increasing by two, three orders of magnitude, perhaps um, by, by 2030. Um, I think, or I, I hope that the, the business case will be stronger, that you know, the, there's already energy price uh, realignment is, is on the table. It's already underway in markets like the Netherlands, in mm. Denmark being discussed in the UK, that that will do, do something. Um, the value of flexibility will, will grow and I expect to see more you know, moving from kind of pilot projects, looking at flexibility with large heat pumps to, to more commercial um, commercial projects, um, more incentives for using waste heat, um, more growth of district heating. I think all of those things are driving, potentially driving the large heat pump market. So yeah, I'm going to go with glass half full. Thanks, Lindsay. Um, it feels to me like this is a sector that needs to move fast if we're to hit our carbon targets. But at the moment, we're maybe with the exception of Denmark, we're we're walking or jogging along, and we need to be sprinting ahead to hit our twenty thirty carbon carbon goals. So uh, I think huge opportunity, but it sounds like a lot to do. Denmark, like in other things, is showing us what can be done, which is great. And I've got two images stuck in my head. Um, one is of um, an image of a, a heat pump next to a wind farm serving district heating, acting in symbiosis with the wind turbines. Um, that's one image. The other image I've got is me in 2030 drinking my favorite whiskey, which is Highland Park, and knowing that heat pumps have moved heating heat around in that distillery, so there's very little burning going on. And it's uh, I can drink my Highland Park without any sense of guilt as to the carbon emissions associated with it. So um, I, those it's images a, it's a fine may. Whiskey, that, that's, uh, it, I, I concur with that. Yeah, uh, I was lucky enough to go around that distillery. Yeah. In the, can in the I can I make one final comment, John? Would that be okay? Um, Very quick. Mark Mark Carney, when he spoke at COP twenty six, talked about there being trillions of pent up investment just waiting for somewhere to go. If we get the right policies, then that pent-up investment will flow into the deployment of heat networks and heat pumps and so on. And what the governments will then realise is that they've got this massive influx of spending that creates job creation, that creates income tax, creates people spending yeah. money because they've now got it, that they then claim VAT on. If you spend a pound or a dollar or a euro on a heat pump that's come from a pension fund, the governments take a colossal slice of that money back into their economies. And that's yep. what I think will unlock all of this. It's always about the money. It's, it's been like that since the beginning of time when we were counting rocks, yep. but it's always it is, been about uh, the money. Yes, and there's certainly a big ward of money looking for a home. So let's hope we get the, the policy framework, the regulations, the business models, the things we talked about in place so that we can see that uh, potential for large heat pumps exploited. Let's leave it there. So thanks very much, uh, Drew, 
Jonas and Dave and Lindsay. A really interesting discussion. Hope, listeners, you've enjoyed it. It's opened your eyes to the world of large heat pumps. Um, And look forward to welcoming you back to the next episode. Thanks and goodbye. If you're as passionate about the energy transition as we are, then please keep in touch. You can follow us and me on Twitter, LinkedIn, or subscribe to the podcasts on your chosen podcast platform. If you like the podcast and like sharing, then please do rate us. And to listen to archived episodes, to read transcripts, and to see the latest Delta EE insights, then please visit www.delta-ee.com.